So we have our uh, Bible Institute. We started, oh, five years ago or so now. There's 781 students all over the world, part of our Bible Institute. You can earn an associate's degree or a bachelor's degree with us. And there's 115 courses, I think, now. And um, they're all free. That's the good part about it. Nothing is, Nothing costs money. So uh, you can go on there and you can get a degree. If you would like, we're also using our Sunday morning or our weekend services now as uh, courses and uh, this one too. And if you want to take it for credit towards a degree, just go to the Online Bible Institute and register. And you're listening to the lecture already. There's some there's a question for every lecture. That's it. One. I just want to know you've listened. And uh, so and you, you can only find the answer by listening to the lecture because I don't ask a Bible question. I ask you something silly that I managed to say during it and expect you to remember that. So uh, do that. There's a little commentary on the weekends and during the week, uh, during Wednesday nights, it's just Bible reading. Um, we're gonna, I'm going to have you read through the epistles and listen to the lecture and at the end, a little paper to write, piece of cake. And then, uh, boom, that's a course. So 20 courses get you an associate's degree, 40 courses get you a bachelor's degree, if you would like. I don't know of any other deals quite like that, so that's something you're interested in. And the courses are very interesting that are on there. They're from all over, a wide spectrum of courses from a a, a lot of different sort of disciplines and thoughts, because I think it's good to study and uh, get other opinions, um, you know, from Christian opinions, but there's a, you know, there's pretty spread out, the, the Christian church, on how they believe things, and that's okay. Uh, and so they're all there. You can check those out. We are doing a study on Wednesday nights on the epistles of Paul. Um, the epistles are letters that Paul writes to um, churches and, and people, um, but re- remember, Usually when Paul would go into a town, not always, some epistles were just written to churches he hadn't even been to, but uh, he would go into a, a new city and he would go into the synagogue and he would preach the gospel in the synagogue and um, until they wouldn't allow him to do that anymore. He would usually get run out of there pretty quick. Um, but while he was there in the synagogues, in most of the synagogues, there was a group of people that were um, Gentile believers and they would be known as God-fearers. They believed in the God of Abraham. And they were often attracted to um, the, the message that, that uh, Paul would preach. And, and so when, if the synagogue wouldn't have him any longer, he would go out and he would start working with these folks. And a church would come. Uh, he would plant a church and he would raise up leaders. And, um, and then he would usually be run out of town. So he got to stay in some of those places. I think the longest place he was in was like three years. Sometimes it was three weeks. Uh, and he'd be out. They'd have run him out already. But um, he would figure out, you know, the spirit, who the Spirit was on to raise up, and he would teach them the basics, and he'd say, teach them what you know. And, and he would have taught them the gospel, and so they would have just started sharing the gospel, and that's where all the power is uh, under the uh, anointing of the Holy Spirit. And people would come, and those churches all would just begin to grow dynamically. Um, and, and this happened, you know, throughout. You can read those accounts in the book of Acts, how, just, how the church just exploded from um, its inception. And uh, Paul was a big part of that. Now, as he would go to a place, uh, then he would leave, and then people would find out where he was, and they'd have questions about, hey, what do we do about this? What do we do about this? What do we do about this? And a lot of the times, these letters would be written back in response to those questions. Corinth was like that. Um, 
uh, Paul uh, wrote this letter, we believe, around A.D. 55. So it wasn't one of the first things he wrote, but, but uh, he, he wrote it uh, at that point in time, writing back to the church in Corinth, which he had started. Um, apparently the church was really filled with pride, and, they, and so in that they, had, they were having a lot of issues. They weren't addressing things that needed to be addressed. And so he writes back to them to begin to address some of these things. And um, he, he wants to, he's trying to get them back to their foundation, which is Jesus. And so he's, he uses um, his, this letter to bring them in that direction. And there, 1 Corinthians has some amazing passages of Scripture. And so I put some in here, and I will comment on some of them as we go, and then we'll talk about some other stuff along the journey. But uh, So I'm about to say some, that my, some of my favorite passages are in 1 Corinthians, but then I say that about everything that we're in, but it's very true. And, um, and, and as we see very quickly in these 1 Corinthians passages, you're going to see, you know, the, the love passages in 1 Corinthians and the gospel. Um, so I, when I say the good news, how many of you know what reference I want you to know? What scripture verse I'm hoping you know when I say good news or gospel? 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. It should just resonate with you. There's a wristband out there. If you haven't figured it out, get the wristband, wear it around until you know it. And uh, it's the camo one. It's got the verse on it. I, the important, we'll get to that in a minute. The importance of knowing that. Though, so there's a lot of amazing verses in here. So like 1 Corinthians 3.3. 3. Paul says, you're still worldly, um, for there's jealousy and quarreling among you. Uh, if that's what's happening, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like you know, mere men, people that, that uh, don't yet know Jesus? And, and that's what he's going after. The, these divisions have risen up, and these arguments are happening, and um, it's all, they're, they're, they're scrambling for position and power, and it's a big, big mess. And so he starts speaking to them on that. And then 1 Corinthians 6, we'll probably come back to this later tonight, because we'll, this will get into our message this weekend, 19 and 20. Do you not know... That your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. And so he's, he's encouraging them to live this life out with all that they are and, and not to compartmentalize their, their walk. Um, isn't it fascinating how these 2,000-year-old letters apply today? Um, because they, they're not... Just letters. They're inspired by the Holy Spirit. And they're, they're as alive today as they've ever been. First uh, Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. That's how we're supposed to be living. For His glory. For His sake. Um, we're supposed to remember that it's... Uh, I tell you this all the time. We are not the center of the story. He is. It's His story. He's the noun of the story. We're the adjectives. He invites us into his story. Lately, we've been talking about how he weaves our story into his and how amazing that is. And then we read the scripture and we see how, how God is weaving all these stories uh, into you know, his story. And that you, when you read from cover to cover, it's about Jesus. Uh, you know, we, can, we can find Jesus in the Old Testament clearly and read, we can read about him throughout. And so it's significant that we understand that. First uh, Corinthians twelve seven. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Paul in this letter addresses 
spiritual gifts and how the Holy Spirit gives them to the um, to people for the edification of the church that they're 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 to be used uh, not to build us up but to build the church up and he talks about that First Corinthians thirteen four this is the love passage love is patient love is kind it does not envy it does not boast it is not proud it is not rude it is not self-seeking it is not easily angered it keeps no record of wrongs love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth it always protects always trusts always hopes always perseveres love never fails that's one of those that you should know um because I'm sure you've heard me talk about this before, but this is a this is a great passage to sort of filter to see how you're doing in your relationship. And so every now and again, you need to pass through it because because of this. Well, one of the things we know is that God is love. Scripture tells us that. So so these are all things that God is. He's patient. He's kind. It's very good to know that this is who God is. Well. The other thing we know is that as we're yielding to the Holy Spirit, we're, we're to, to start taking on some of those characteristics in our own life. And so one of the things I, I routinely do is put my own name in there where it says love and work through it. And I, can, I, can, I get a quick evaluation of how well I'm doing. And it starts out pretty quickly. I always try to chuckle at this. Steve is patient. And I'm generally immediately back to where I need to be in my humility scale. Because sometimes I am and sometimes I'm not very patient. I try, but uh, anybody here ever get impatient? No, it's just me. Steve is patient. Then I can go on. Sometimes Steve is kind. Sometimes. Steve doesn't envy. Eh. (laughs) Steve doesn't boast. Steve isn't proud. Steve isn't rude. Mm -mm. (laughs) Steve, Steve has learned... Steve has learned not to say the things that he's thinking, uh, which has made him appear less rude than he really is, <laughs> which isn't quite arriving, but it's a, it's a move in the right direction, probably. Steve is not self-seeking. Yeah. Steve is not easily angered. Poof. Steve keeps no record of wrongs. Steve does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Steve always protects. Steve always trusts. Steve always hopes. Steve always perseveres. Steve never fails. Why'd you laugh at that one? (laughs) But do you get it? How powerful that is as far as... What it reminds me of, even just the very beginning, Steve is patient. What that reminds me of is my desperate need for God. And I never want to lose sight of that. Because the moment you start to lose sight of that, you're, you're in trouble. And, and uh, I think Paul writes it this way because the Corinthian church had gotten very proud. They really thought they were something. And, and um, it's not that they weren't something, but they had built themselves up in their own minds. And we don't want to do that. We, we live for his glory, not for our own. And it's very important. And, and where a lot of believers get off track is they lose sight of that. And all of a sudden, it's more about them than him. And that's when it becomes a mess, big time. So, so that passage that I just went through is one of the best passages, I think, for keeping us in a spot of humility where we realize how desperately we need God. Because, it, 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 you know, we all get stuck there. I mean, it's as long as we're honest. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 8. These are, those, these are these verses that I say, you know, 
foundational verses, gospel versus good news. When someone asks you what the gospel is, the good news, um, it's, it's, it's these verses right here. For what I received, I passed on to you as first importance. Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised again on the third day, according to the scriptures. Why is that so important? We've been talking about that, that this plan of redemption that we have, what rescues us from, from darkness and brings us into light, what reconciles us to God, what makes a way possible, is this, this redemptive plan that, that we start seeing in Genesis 3.15 after the fall, which weaves its way through the entire book to the cross. And, and so all of the events that happen at the cross um, are... are part of this process and that he goes to the cross that jesus goes to the cross according to the scriptures that that this was part of the plan from genesis 3:15, and that he would die on that cross and be buried so he didn't faint he didn't pass out he didn't go to sleep he dies he's buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and and when you when you start reading that one of the things I would encourage you to do sometime is start reading the Bible, looking for things that happen on third day. It's amazing how many events in the Bible, Old Testament events, happen on the third day. Why? So that when these things happen, we would see them taking place. So that, that's the gospel. That's the good news. That's what people need to hear to um, be brought from darkness to light. They, they, they need to hear that message. You think, well, what about... Because in that message is everything. Our, um, we, we're all... We've gone our own way because of sin. And so our sin has separated us from God. Remember, God is, is perfect. He's, he's holy. Sin can't be in His presence. We've all sinned. And there was this big gap between us and God. A chasm that, that we often think we can work our way back, but we can't. Listen to statistics today. Uh... You know, America still, most people believe in, in God, the big percentage. Um, 80% of people believe in an afterlife. Uh, this was fascinating. So 80, 80, 80% in America believe there, there's, there's life after death. Uh, 70% of those people, um, believe, so they believe in an afterlife, they believe in heaven. 70% believe there's heaven in hell, and, and, but only 1% believe that they're going to hell. I'm fascinated by that. Culturally, that's an issue. I don't, you know, but, but you know, um, people have to make this response in, in order to be delivered from darkness into light. And the problem is culturally, most people just think you just have to be good. And they, most people will judge themselves as good because they'll compare themselves to somebody less good. The scary thing is that person thinks they're good too because there's no standard and and good and and yet the the thing is and the scary part is is that good isn't the standard anyway perfect is the standard and none of us are perfect because we've all sinned and so we can't get in on our standard we can't earn our way in it's only in Christ that we can get in so so it's only in Jesus then that that chasm is breached and that we come back into into relationship with him and he made that possible by going to the cross paying for our sin and and dying there and then defeating death and rising again the first of many so so all of that is in that gospel i know it's, it's simplified but that's the gospel message that's the heart of the gospel it's it's in other places you can in the new testament you can read the gospel but that's the best summary of it that i believe is in the scripture so you sh- you should know that and then it goes on 
He appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me, uh, and last of all, he appeared to me also as, as to one abnormally born. So uh, why is that important? Because it's this eyewitness account of the event. A lot of people would, would like to write the resurrection story off as a myth and say it didn't happen. Um, and they, they kind of come up with all sorts of things that he didn't really die and then he came back and they just hit him away. Um, on and on they go with their, their theories. But eyewitnesses, Paul says, listen, not only did the apostles see him, and not only did I see him and James and the others, but there were 500 people that he appeared to, uh, and, and they all saw him post-resurrection. And when Paul's writing this, he, in AD 55, he said, most of them are still alive. You can go and talk to them about it. They've seen it. And so and, uh, oftentimes things are made right, but two eyewitnesses will, will be something that people go, it must have happened if you've got two eyewitnesses. Hundreds of eyewitnesses for the resurrection account. So we, we understand that's happening um, in the process. So, so Paul was dealing with these things and uh, the issues that were coming up, and he starts to speak to them. So, so you kind of have to know, you know what he's addressing. Corinthians, like I said, they've got some major issues. They've got some pride. They're, they're letting things go they shouldn't let go. And he speaks into them. Just like, uh, you know, we, we read Galatians just recently on the weekend. And Galatians, he, was, he wrote Galatians to deal with the Judaizers. Those, those people that had come from the Jerusalem church and believed that all the Gentile believers needed to be circumcised and follow the law. And so you read Galatians and you see how he's combating that um, in the process. And so the, the epistles were usually targeted at something that needed to be addressed uh, on this journey. Uh, and, and so he's addressing things in 1 Corinthians. And... Um, one, and another thing you'll see that happens a lot in the epistles is that he talks about a mystery or secret. 1 Corinthians 2, 6 and 7. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age. Remember, we've talked about the age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. So when, when Paul talks about a secret or a mystery, and he does that 21 times in the epistles, um, he, he's talking about something that they hadn't seen before, but now that they can see in light of what Christ has done uh, in, in the um, crucifixion and resurrection. And so in its, in its fullest sense, the, the mystery or the secret is God's plan of salvation through Jesus. Um, that's what we've done. And... Um, if, if we would have never understood how he was getting us back and reconciling us if it hadn't been for the coming of Jesus, his death, and resurrection. And so Paul talks about that often in the epistles, but in this one. So when you see secret or mystery when you're reading, that's in its fullest sense, that's what he's talking about. And then we touched on these ideas uh, a couple of weeks ago as we were looking through something in Romans. But um, he, Paul starts to talk about the difference between people who don't know, yet know Jesus, um, people that know Jesus but are still really sort of um, not yielding to the Spirit in, in the way that they probably should be, and then, then people that are doing that. Um, 1 Corinthians 
It says, the, the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolish to him, and he can't understand them because they're spiritually discerned. And so there he's talking about unbelievers, people um, who haven't yet made that decision to follow Jesus. They haven't responded in faith to the good news, the gospel message. And so it all seems, um, you know, like foolishness to them. And so oftentimes if you're in a discussion with someone who isn't a believer yet, the things that you... So you have to be aware of the fact that they just think that you're foolish. Um, and, and, and that's okay. You just have to figure out how to proceed by yielding to the Spirit, listening to how He directs you in those things so that you can begin to have a discussion with people. Um, so we don't look down on them. We just understand that, that they haven't got there yet. And for me, I always remember that in my own life. Um, and I've shared with you this story for um, years. I, did, I didn't grow up as a believer. And then uh, I had an encounter that happened when I was like 19 and someone explained the, the gospel to me very well. They did really a very good job. And um, I, I decided not to follow Jesus at that point in time. Again, my thing was I just couldn't figure out how they had fun. Um, now, what I thought was fun was far from uh, that kind of life. Um, but it really wasn't fun anyway, but it's what I thought it was. So I, I, I didn't go. But the person who had led me through all that gave me a Bible, his Bible. And that Bible miraculously stuck with me uh, for the next six years where I was all over the place and, and often didn't even have, you know, a, a spot and a lot of things happened. But the Bible, and every now and again, I would try and read that Bible and, and it wouldn't make any sense to me at all. And I would just go, this makes no sense. And I would want it to, and it just made no sense. But once I came and, and gave my life to Jesus and called, you know, in faith, made that step, then it began to make sense. And what had happened was I'd gone from sort of unregenerate to to a place where now with the Spirit, things began to make sense. And so that happens in the process. And so we, we go from from sort of a... The, the natural spot. And then he starts talking about sort of a carnality in Christ. And uh, so, and that just means, it's to me, it's people that have come to know Jesus but are, are not yet yielding to the Spirit. And so they're still sort of in some, you know, gray areas. Uh, and I, it's not, it's a, uh, it's something that the Spirit will work on as they continue to yield to Him. And I believe that because in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3, it says, Brothers and sisters, I couldn't address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. So I gave you milk, not solid food, for you're not ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You're still worldly. For since there's jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like, like mere folks, mere, mere people, like, like you don't know Jesus yet? And so I, I think... Um, especially, you know, in the beginning, we, we get like that. And then in areas, we're still like that. And, and that we continue to yield to the Spirit so that we can grow and mature. That's the process of sanctification that all of us are, are on. And um, I, you know, sometimes we, we don't live up to what we should. And that's reality. You know, I, I, I tease with you all the time that, that I, I'm always reminded of that when I'm driving. Uh, that I'm not being like Jesus. I just know I'm not. And, I, it's, and I, I'm working on it, but it's one of those things. And so none of us is fully right. But that helps us, too, not to treat other people like they're less than. And that's, you know, that's been a problem that we want to make sure that we're not continuing. 
Um, but every time that we choose to sin, we're acting carnally. And, and I, I don't, I, you know, it doesn't mean that we're not in still relationship with the Lord. It just means we made a bad choice and we, we go out and ask, you know, we, we get that right with God and we start all over. And that's how he does it. So, um, but you will, if you're loving Jesus, you will, con- you, you will change. If you, see, that sometimes people get upset with the, the idea of grace because they think people will just go ahead. I'll just sin whatever we want. Remember I talked about that? The other antinomianism, which means there's no, if I'm a believer, there's no law. It's a grace thing, and I can do whatever I want. And, and that's not the reality. If you love Jesus, you don't want to keep doing what you want. You want to do what he wants. And that's the difference. And once we figure that out, we start to change. I don't want to do what I want. I want to do what he wants. It's not about what I want any longer. It's about what he wants. I'm a part of his story. It's not my story. It's his. And the amazing thing is when we get a hold of that, that's when we start to experience life. And so then, and then as we do that, we, we sort of move into the process of, of being yielded to the Spirit, and that's what this spiritual walk looks like. And then 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20, Paul's saying, so you, you need to get that don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you receive from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. So, so God created uh, our bodies, the, the Son redeems them, and then God the Holy Spirit indwells them, and that makes our body the, the very temple of the Holy Spirit of God. So, I've got time. So let me, uh, I'll give you a quick, because we're going to be talking about that very thing this weekend. So the, the temple thing I think is very interesting, because when we, when we talk about a temple, I think a lot of times we just, we have this picture in our mind of a, an actual place, and um, that's what we think of the temple. And so we start reading these things, and well, we're a temple. What does that mean to the Holy Spirit? So if you go all the way back to creation, and you start to read the Scripture, in, in Genesis 1.1, uh, you note that it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Right? Everybody remembers Genesis 1.1? And so we, we have there this, this amazing picture of what, what he's about to do. And, and when you read in the beginning, you know, ponder this for a minute. It's, that's the beginning of our story with him. God has always been. And so they, some people will say to me, what, what, you know, what, what, in the beginning, well, what, was, what, was, what was there before the beginning? God, God has always been. God is eternal. Uh, we have trouble wrapping our finite minds around that. So when, when we start to read in Genesis 1, um, this, this amazing book that's written to us, um, that, that is written... After the Exodus, as God tells it to Moses, uh, he writes in the beginning. And he's talking about the beginning of this story between God and man. God created the heavens and the earth. And re- remember I talked about it was formless and void a few weeks ago. And, and uh, that, that, uh, then he starts to speak into it. And in the, in the creation account, God speaks into it ten times. And the result of him speaking into that is, is that you have this garden where you have... Um, God and humanity together in, in perfection. So you, you have a picture, in effect, of a, a sort of a cosmic temple. That's, that's where Genesis is taking us. And, and in this cosmic temple, heaven and earth exist together. That's, what happened. that's what's going on. You need to see that picture. That's in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he creates them together. And, and so that's what happens. Well, then... We, we know what happens next is that Adam and Eve choose to go in their own direction and they, the fall happens. And what the fall is a picture of is a separation 
of heaven and earth. And there's this major problem now because it doesn't exist any longer in that same way because we chose to go our own way and we messed that up. All right. So uh, then if you, you continue to read Genesis and you see how the redemptive thing that we've talked about starts to take place. Remember, I, I talked about the flood in one of these meetings not all that long ago. And the flood's kind of a reset where it goes back, it floods the earth again, and so the water, the earth is covered in water once again, which is how it was in the beginning when God spoke into it, and yet there was this little redemptive ark um, that was there, and keeping that line intact, and so out of that, things begin to happen again, and God begins to speak, and you have Abraham, and you have Isaac, and you have Jacob. At the end of Genesis, we have Jacob going uh, with his family of 70 into Egypt, uh, where they're going to sort of beat the famine and that family of 70 grows over a 400 year process into a into a nation a tribe uh, a a nation with 12 tribes and and yet at that process in there along the way they were enslaved and so now they're in slavery and bondage and oppression and and god comes and he delivers them in what we know as the Exodus. And the Exodus theme sort of runs throughout the Scripture. And the Exodus is always a God taking us out of slavery and bondage and moving us into the Promised Land. And that theme runs throughout the Scripture because that happens to us too because we're in slavery to sin, we're in bondage to the enemy, and yet in Christ we're rescued from that and we're sort of given then eternity with Him, the Promised Land. So the Exodus happens. And supernaturally, the exodus takes place, you know, and God uses Moses, and there's these things that happen uh, where finally Pharaoh cuts them free, lets them go. Then he changes his mind, but the people are gone, and then they go through the Red Sea, and then, because God opens the Red Sea, right, you're with me, and then Pharaoh's army tries to go through, and the waters cover them, they're wiped out. People of Israel on the other side, they're free. They're free from bondage, they're free from slavery, and God's going to take them into the promised land which he's doing, and he starts teaching them that they can trust him through a series of events. And then an amazing thing happens is Mount Sinai. God gives them ten words. We read it as ten commandments, but it's really ten words. Fascinating, he's reordering things. Remember when he spoke into creation, how many times did he speak? Ten. Ten times he speaks in and he reorders everything. And um, that's how he's going to do it. And he's... You know, we, we call that the law and we get all messed up with that. But, but really, it's, it's the three, three of the words are about loving God and the rest are about how you love your neighbors. Uh, and that's the two important things. But it's a love thing, not a law thing. If you love, this is what you're going to do. And that's what he wants people to do is love. You're going to love him and you're going to love other people. And if you love other people, you, you're not going to steal from them, cheat them out of things, take things from them. You just won't do it that way. It's not a law thing. It's a love thing. And, and uh, remember, too... I know I'm talking a lot, but people get messed up. Following those things was never their way of salvation, if you would. God had already saved them. He'd already rescued them. He'd already delivered them. He'd already done those things. They were already on this side of that slavery thing. And so this was how they were to live in the process. They weren't earning anything. They were to live in community like that. Well, they don't do it. So they're going to get kicked out of the promised land is what's going to happen. Just a, it's another reenactment of the garden. But amazing thing happens is that God says, listen, here's what I want you to do. I want you to build a tabernacle. You're going to make a tabernacle. It's like a big tent. And, and you're going to make it just the way I tell you to make it. And then my presence is going to come into the tabernacle. And whenever you pick it up and set it up, my presence will be there. And there'll be one place again on the earth where heaven and earth meet, the tabernacle. 
We didn't have it. We had it back in the cosmic temple. It hasn't been happening. Boom. Now we got it again in the tabernacle. So this is pretty cool. And then to wherever they go, they pick it up. They go. God's presence comes. Boom. Tabernacle. And eventually then that becomes the temple. Right? You read about the temple in the Bible of Israel. And then there's the Holy of Holies. And that's where the presence of God is. There's a place there in, in there where God, heaven and earth still meet. Now, you can't get in it if you're a regular folk. You, you can't get into the presence of God because of your sin. But people would go to the temple for forgiveness and uh, to honor God and do those things. So they would go to the temple. So, I'm looking at the time. So we've got a place on earth. We can't, it's not like it was, but at least there's a place where heaven and earth meet. It's important uh, at the temple. Well, um, because of the sin of the folks and they're not doing what they're supposed to do, nations rise up and the Babylonians come in and they um, destroy the temple and they take all of the people of Israel into captivity for 70 years. And now there's no place again where heaven and earth meet. It's gone once again. And the prophets start to speak during that time, Isaiah and Jeremiah and all these, and they say, listen, um, when, when the temple's rebuilt, God's going to come back in a way and his presence will be there and that's what we're waiting for. And so the people of Israel are in captivity for 70 years. Cyrus finally comes along and says, oh, you guys can go back. And he releases them and they go back and they rebuild the temple. But you know what doesn't happen? There's no presence of God in the temple. He doesn't come back. And they go, well, we rebuilt it. Why didn't he come back? Where's all this stuff that's supposed to happen? There's supposed to be this new covenant and everything. And, and they're, not, they're not sure what's going on. And finally, Malachi speaks into it. And he says, oh, don't worry. He's going to come. It's just not going to be in the way that you inspect. And so Malachi was the last of the prophets. And he said, before it happens, there's going to be a messenger that comes who's going to prepare the way of all this to happen. Well, the next prophet that we have is John the Baptist. 400 and some years later, John the Baptist comes and prepares the way for who? Jesus. Thank you. When Jesus comes, he goes to that temple and he says, huh, that's nice. If you tear the temple down, I'll rebuild it in three days. And, and then later on, then they're going, it took 40 years to rebuild this thing. What are you talking about three days? And later on, after he dies and is resurrected, what do the guys, what do they get figure out? He was talking about himself. His body was the temple. See, because Jesus comes back and he embodies heaven and earth. And so there's a place in Jesus where heaven and earth meet again when he comes. And so that's pretty good news. And in John 1.14, it says, um, it's really cool. When, when he comes, John 1.1, 1, 1 it, it connects us again with the, creation account in the beginning it says then the word was with god the word was god he was with god in the beginning if you read down in john 1:14, it says that he came and he dwelt among us that word dwell is tabernacle he comes and he tabernacles among us he, he embodies the presence and then what happens is and people are going to jesus you see and they don't get it but what's jesus doing is he's taking care of all the sacrifice and he's he's you never wonder why he forgives people that's what they would go to the temple for. But Jesus goes and he does that wherever he's at. And then what happens is this. When Jesus does the thing they talked about where he dies and he, and he sends the Holy Spirit. Now we are the place where heaven and earth meet. Inside of you. And so just the way Jesus would, would sort of carry God into the picture, we bring Jesus. We're, we're the, his body. And, and so we're the temple now. And so what's happened is he's, he's made a way through all of this thing that, that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, because we're where heaven and earth meet. The Holy Spirit is in us. So heaven and earth meet in us. And that's what Paul's trying to get to people, because once you get that, it changes the way that you live. Because when you think it in, 
when you can think of it in that part of the story, it can't help but impact you to the point where you go, oh, wow, it's not all about me. There's something much greater going on. And so now we're sort of the portable temple, the portable presence of the Lord is what we're doing. And that's who we are. So anyway, you've got a preview of what's coming this weekend. I wanted to how long it was going to take me to say all that anyway. So now I know. All right, if you're watching my video, thanks for watching. And uh, if you... Uh,